Thank you for that nice introduction, Diane. Uh, somebody said something about um, my willingness to speak downstairs during the breakfast. And, um, well, I am always scared to death. So uh, I always have to wrestle between my desire to be obedient to what I feel God is calling me to do versus my natural inclination, which is to not do it. And um, so I've been a follower of Christ for over 45 years now. I'm not giving the exact number in case some of you are better at math than I am, but <laughs> you can figure out how old I am. But uh, I came to the Lord when I was 17, and um, I was a shy, introverted, uh, very reserved person. So after 45 plus years of following Jesus, um, here I am. I speak in front of people, and it uh, still surprises me, and that's why I get scared every time because it's not part of my nature. And, uh, but just uh, take a look and just see that uh, perhaps you too will be called up here one day, particularly if you're shy and reserved and think this would be the last thing on earth you'd ever want to do. But the one thing that gets me up here is, is trying to be obedient to the Lord and also because I do love talking about Him. And uh, so over my 45 plus years of following Him, I have a stronger faith in Him, a greater awareness of who He is and His love for all of us. And um, he's more real to me now than he was when I was 17. It just keeps growing and growing and growing. And I know that that's his plan for all of us, that our faith would increase and that he, Jesus, is the author and finisher of our faith. And he's at work in us as soon as we say yes to him. He begins to work in us and that work is not going to be completed until we go to be with him in heaven and see him face to face. But in the meantime, he gives us that gift of the Holy Spirit to work in us and to change us from the inside out. And that process continues every day in each of our lives. And sometimes we resist it and we hold back. Sometimes we welcome it and sometimes we seek it. And uh, James in his, uh, his book in uh, chapter four, verse eight says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And I first drew near to God when I was 17. I was, we had moved here from Maryland when I was in middle school, and a friend of mine at Andover High School invited me to go to a Bible study being held at a man, uh, his house in North Andover, Bill Watson and Sandy Watson's house. Some of you may have met them or heard of them. And I went to that Bible study, and their basement was full of teenagers. There were so many teenagers in their basement that we had to sit on the stairs. And that's where I sat on the stairs, because there wasn't room on the floor for everybody. And I began to learn that people were taking Jesus seriously, that people said you could know him, and that he was real, and that he wanted to be part of my life, that he was offering me not just forgiveness, but love and a, a whole new uh, plan, that if I would give myself to him, an exchange would be made, and he would take my life and give me his own. And that would uh, be through the Holy Spirit at work within me. So when I heard that message, and met people who were experiencing that for themselves. I pondered it for a long time and thought about it, and I couldn't get past the whole thing that he had been resurrected, that he wasn't just a guy that came around giving good teachings, but the proof had been in the fact that he was crucified, he was dead, he was buried, and on the third day he came alive again. And he didn't just come alive for a couple of people, he was walking around in Israel, in Jerusalem, and other places for over a month. He was seen by crowds of 500 people at a time, and then one or two. He wasn't a ghost. He, he cooked breakfast on a beach for them and was cooking some fish 
for his disciples who didn't realize it was him until they saw him on the beach and jumped off the, the boat and swam in and there he was giving them breakfast. And it was there that he restored Peter who had denied him three times and told him, you know, do you love me, Peter? And Peter said, yes, Lord, you know I love you. And he said, feed my sheep. And he repeated that three times and Peter had denied him three times and Jesus is restoring him in such a loving, tender way that it's Peter's opportunity to go forward, not being dragged out by his past and his denial of Jesus, but going forward and showing his love for Jesus by loving his sheep. And Peter did that and was crucified himself um, many years later. So I heard all this information and met these people that said that they were experiencing the truth and reality of Jesus in their life. And so I thought, hmm, I think that I should say yes to, to Jesus. And I was, we were living uh, right up the street, uh, Walcott Avenue, and I was 17 years old. But I didn't want to say yes right away because I knew that when I said yes, there would really be no turning back. And I, for some reason, I don't know why, but I understood that there would be a cost involved and that you had to count the cost. And once you said yes to Jesus, you really don't want to back out of that. Well, you might consider it, and I did over the years a few times, but um, once you commit to him, he's asking for you to be all in and not to look back. And so it took me about three months of waffling, knowing I should say yes to him, but wanting to put it off. And one day it was actually in the bathroom at the house in Walcott, I was about to take a shower. And for the first time, I heard that still small voice that said, now is the time. And I, my response was instinctive, it was, yes, Lord. And I stepped in the shower, and it was kind of like my little baptism in a way. And then I knew that was it, there was no going back. So that was the first time I drew near to God. And so then I began to look and see, is he going to draw near to me? What's gonna happen next? And I knew that I had been given the gift of the Holy Spirit because that was it's promised to all people who say yes to the Lord and come to him in repentance and a desire. To, um, to follow him, and that he gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit. So that's what transforms us from the inside out. It's not up to us to transform ourselves. It's really impossible to transform yourself. But it's the work of the Holy Spirit to begin to make us more and more like Jesus. And he gives us the fruit of the Spirit as he works in us, so that we begin to experience love where we didn't have it before for others, and kindness, and gentleness, and patience. I'm often an impatient person and uh, self-control, peace, joy. So those things we can't manufacture ourselves, but we wait and look for the Holy Spirit to work those things out in us. And it never stops. So in my 45 plus years, I have made gains in some areas, and then sometimes right now, I'm really lacking patience. Um, I'm kind of cranky, and um, politics are driving me nuts. So <laughs> I am impatient with people who have a different point of view than I do, and um, I won't tell you what my point of view is, please don't ask. <laughs> but I'm sure it's true for all of us. We, we can get divided on these things. And then obviously there's, we deal with people and uh, people can be problematic in our own families, in our workplace, um, and, um, and we can sometimes be problematic. But um, as I reached out to the Lord, he, he began to reach back. And one of the first things that I saw when I, um, started as a Christian was that the Holy Spirit is real. He's a real entity in our lives. And one of the unusual things that happened, I'd only been a Christian for, I don't know, maybe a year or so, and I was at a mall down in the North Shore. And I was walking out of the mall, and ahead of me was a man. I didn't know him. I hadn't seen him. We hadn't made eye contact. He was, 
he was probably 100 feet ahead of me, just walking out of the mall, uh, you know, ahead of me. And so I'm kind of following behind him out in the parking lot. And uh, he goes over to his car. And when he goes to his car, I'm starting to walk past him because I'm parked further down. All of a sudden, he stops. He's about to get in his car. He turns and looks at me, and he said, you're a Christian, aren't you? And I said, yes. How did you know that? And he said, the Holy Spirit told me. And I'm oh, okay. Well, <laughs> that really made my day, as you can imagine. It was a blessing because that was a supernatural encounter that, that he didn't know me. I didn't know him. We hadn't even looked at each other prior to him getting in his car. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit had nudged him. And then I experienced that in the opposite way, where one time my car, I always had old cars, broke down at 114, across from a little restaurant. I was stuck in traffic, it was before cell phones, and I couldn't move the car. And this man came out of the restaurant and came over and pushed the car out of the way. And of course he was a kind, helpful man to come out and do that. But I just had this sudden conviction that this man was a Christian. He hadn't said anything at all about Jesus, but I was just sure that he was, and I was so sure that I wanted to just find out for sure if he was, because I felt so convicted of it. So when my husband came to pick me up, I said, you know, I think that this guy that helped me is a Christian. I've got to go in that restaurant and uh, find out, just ask him. So um, I went into the restaurant and I, I look around and there he is sitting at a table with his family and they're all saying grace over their meal. So I went up to him and I said, I knew you were a Christian because the Holy Spirit told me. And he smiled at me and we just gave each other, you know, a little Christian smile, you know, brother and sister in Christ, and that was it. Um, so I began to see that, that the Holy Spirit is real, and the Holy Spirit works in us, and the Holy Spirit teaches us what we need to know. He's our advocate, he's our teacher, he's the one that's going to change us from the inside out. And then, uh, you know, sometimes God gives you um, a nice big present, more than you can ask or think or even imagine. And so I, he gave me a wonderful gift while I was still living in Walcott. And I was working in a little restaurant and I was going to UMass Lowell uh, part-time. And I was working in a restaurant in Lawrence. And so I was quitting the restaurant in Lawrence. And I had weird things that happened there too, but I won't get into all those. But, um, so, but the, the thing is, I was leaving the restaurant. It was a small little staff. And uh, some of them were taking me out to dinner as a goodbye. And I was very convicted by the Holy Spirit that I had not shared my faith with these staff people, co-workers. And so I was very convicted. So I'm a chicken. I'm shy. I'm reserved. I didn't know how to bring the topic up. So I told the Lord that, look, I, I want to share with you. I will share about you with them, but I can't bring it up. You'll have to bring it up for me, Lord, because I'm just too shy to do that. So if you bring up your name in some way, then I'll speak up about you. But um, I'm kind of depending on you. So that was my deal with him. Now, I don't know really how he felt about it, but at the moment, because <laughs> it was kind of a chicken-hearted deal, but I was sincere in it. And uh, so uh, we went out to dinner, and I'm waiting and watching, and there's no opportunity. Nothing comes up even remotely related to Jesus. So I keep telling him, you know, Lord, I will do it, but you got to open the door for me. So we get into the car, and the, this guy, Bill, is the driver, and he's dropping us off. He had picked us all up, and he's all dropping us off at our different places. And while he's driving around dropping people off, uh, all of a sudden, somebody starts talking about dreams in the car. And then Bill, the driver, speaks up and says, I have a lot of dreams about Jesus. And so, of course, you can't get a bigger door open <laughs> in front of you than that. I mean, you and I couldn't avoid that. That was, okay, God, you gave me an opportunity, so... 
uh, I started asking Bill, you know, what, do, what kind of dreams do you have about Jesus? And so he was having some very interesting, vivid dreams about Jesus. And so we, we all talked about that, and then he, he dropped everybody else off, and I was the last person to be dropped off. By that time, we were having quite a discussion about the Lord, and I was able to tell him how I started following Jesus, and I was finding out that he was real, and that you could talk to him, and that he loved you, and loves me, and, and uh, so we were having this whole conversation parked in front of my, my house, my parents' house. And uh, then it occurred to me to ask Bill, um, would you like to ask Jesus into your life? And he looked at me and he said, yeah, I would. Well, I didn't expect that. So <laughs> I never prayed that prayer with anybody. So I kind of like, okay. So I just said, well, I'll pray. And then, you know, you can, you can pray if, if you want to, or whatever you want to do. And I'll just pray for you. So I hadn't done that before. So I kind of mumbled through that and I prayed. Really had low expectations. And the next thing I know, Bill is laughing and crying behind the driver's they're driving wheel there. And he's got his hands up in the air and he's praising God and crying. And I realized, oh my, you know, something's <laughs> happening to Bill. The Holy Spirit has showed up here. I didn't expect that. And so I didn't know what to do with Bill. Uh, we didn't know each other that well. <laughs> so I had a little New Testament in my pocketbook. So I just took that out, pushed it in his hand. He's still crying in this driver's seat and said, here, read this. See ya. And I... <laughs> bolted out of there and thought, well, I guess he's going to make it you know, his way home eventually, but I just left him crying and gave him the New Testament. <laughs> uh, one of my favorite scriptures, I have to say, is from Isaiah, where he says, uh, uh, the Lord is mindful that we are but dust. I love that. I think about that all the time because you don't have any expectations for dust. And he keeps that in mind. And I have a lot of dust in my house. I have no expectations for dust at all. And it's really nice to know that he keeps in mind what he's created us from. He created us from the dust of the earth and breathed life into us. And so um, he, he knows what we're made of. And he knows what I'm made of. And he knows that I'm shy and reserved and scared and don't know what I'm talking about half the time. And so he, um, so I left Bill crying and then I went in the house and I heard, eventually heard the car drive away. And, when I came into the house, it was such a surprise to, to find out that um, God had this encounter prepared al already uh, with, with he and Bill, and that he was allowing me to participate in this great blessing of seeing this man come to Jesus, and it was so unexpected. So when I came into the kitchen, I just dropped to my knees, and I just started praising God and thanking him for giving me this chance to share the gospel in such being such a chicken about the whole thing, but that he gave me so much more than I was expecting by seeing someone come to Christ. That was the first time I ever experienced that. And so while I was praising him, all of a sudden I was just assailed with doubt. I just started thinking, wait a second, well, I don't know if I said it right, I don't know if I explained things to Bill, I don't know if he really understood what he was doing. I was just assailed with doubt. And then I just heard God speak to me again, and he said in that still small voice, he said, your job is to bring, bring them to my throne, and I will cause the growth. And when I heard those words in my heart, I was just filled with peace and praise. It was like, yes, Lord, okay, you know, um, Bill is in your hands. I did my part to bring him to your throne, but you're going to cause the growth. And I thought that was the end of it. Well, God is so kind and so generous and so loving that he gave me an extra sort of... Um, seal of approval, I guess, in a way, that, that something was happening. A year later, I was at this Christian coffee house down in Andover called Turning Point, and I was working behind the coffee bar, uh, um, bar 
And I had told Bill about Turning Point and my discussion with him about how I had found Jesus. And so he knew about it, um, but he never came. I never saw Bill again. And, um, but a year later, I'm at this coffee house, and some guy comes in the door, and um, he starts asking for Susan Fuller, which was my maiden name. And he gets pointed over to me. And so I'd never seen him before. So he comes up to me, this young man, and he said, are you Susan Fuller? And I said, yes. And he said, well, Bill, he said, um, told me about Jesus. This is Bill, the car Bill, the crying behind the wheel Bill. <laughs> he said, he told me about Jesus. And I asked him how he found out. And he told me that you had told him. And so he said, I came to find you to thank you for telling Bill about Jesus because Bill told me, and now I'm following Jesus. And he gave me a hug and said thank you and walked away and I never saw him again either. And, but can you imagine though what that did? The confirmation that God gave that he indeed is the giver of life. He is the author and finisher of our faith. That my job was simply to be willing, to be obedient, to take the risk of talking to, to someone about Jesus and that it's God that causes the growth. And that the Holy Spirit was at work at Bill and, and uh, the Holy Spirit was at work in this young man. And so that was a wonderful gift uh, that God gave me that was so unexpected. And he did way more than he was obligated to do to reassure me, you know, that um, even if, if I felt incompetent to share the gospel, that he and his spirit are at work in me and despite me, and that I don't need to worry about that. So that was the beginning of, of the journey of finding out that um, God is real and that he's at work. And uh, right now, I am now a, a grandmother for the first time of a 10-month-old boy named Hunter. And uh, God is teaching me just through that baby something that I know in my head, but it's hard to really fathom. And um, that's the fact that God loves me and God loves you unconditionally. And that's something that we often don't experience in our, our lives. Um, it's hard for us to love unconditionally. It's hard for us to find unconditional love from others. We always feel we have to do something to deserve it or earn it or measure up or be uh, worthy of it. And so it can feel like um, it's kind of hard to find, hard to give and hard to receive or discover it somewhere. But we know God says he loves us unconditionally. He invites us to come as we are. And we were singing about that in these songs. You know, we could be broken we can be lost, but uh, we can come and find Jesus. And in him is respite and safety and love and warmth. And he embraces us and welcomes us as his child with all the rights of a child. So that his power is now given to us through the Holy Spirit. And so with my little grandson, um, I, am, I look at him and I feel unconditional love for him. Now I felt it for my own four children. But I was so terrified of being a new mom that I couldn't really relax into that unconditional love. Honestly, my first son, Matthew, who's getting married in April, he's uh, gonna be 39 years old in April. When, I, um, when he was born, um, I was so nervous. He was in the, we were in the hospital for about a week. I never changed that baby's diaper in that whole week. I avoided it because I had this idea his legs were like little chicken legs and they were gonna snap off if I handled him wrong, <laughs> changing a diaper. So I avoided it. I was terrified going home with him. So I think that, that I loved him unconditionally, but I was so nervous. 
And I'm trying to puzzle out what it is that's different about being a grandmother. And I think that part of it is that I can love him unconditionally and I'm not terrified anymore of babies because I've had experience with him and I realize it's all probably going to be okay. And so I can just love him. And he doesn't do anything. He, he can't change his diapers. He can't feed himself. He's totally helpless. He's totally dependent. He makes messes. He throws food over his high chair to feed his, his dog. <laughs> and, but it doesn't matter. I look at him and I realize, oh, this is how God feels about me. This is how he feels about you. He's, he's looking at you, he's embracing you, and he's looking at you with eyes of unconditional love. And no matter where you find yourself or how you feel today, whether you're lonely or broken or despairing or fearful, you are being looked at with great love by your Heavenly Father. And one of the things I do with Hunter that I started doing when I first met him, when he was nine days old, is I sing over him. And now he knows that I'm going to sing. And so when I hold him and I start singing, he relaxes in my arms and he smiles at me with his binky in his mouth. He smiles around his binky. And he will reach up and he'll pat my face while I'm singing to him. And we have a whole repertoire and he knows it. And he starts smiling as soon as I start singing. And there's this lovely verse from the prophet Zephaniah that says, um, the Lord your God, I have to put it up because my eyes are falling apart. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. And that's what he is doing for us. Just as I exalt over my, my grandson with loud singing. God is feeling the same way about you, and he wants you to know that, that he loves you. He's in your midst. He is exalting over you with loud singing. And I don't know if you feel that today or not, but he is. And so James tells us that when we draw near to God, that he will draw near to us. And then he also tells us that when we draw near to God, we should come with clean hands. That we should come humbly before God. We need to understand where we are in relationship to him. That he wants us to do what he's asking us to do. He wants us to be obedient. And we go off the rails when we do things that we know are wrong. But we also go off the rails in a different way when he's asking us to do something and we don't want to do it. And um, sometimes, oftentimes, that will happen. He'll call us to do something and for whatever reason, we don't want to give, we don't want to love, or we don't want to forgive. And forgiveness is a key issue that will keep us um, in, in a wrong relationship with God because he has forgiven us and he's asking us to do the same thing and forgive others. And Jesus, you know, reaffirmed that message over and over and over again that we need to forgive because we are forgiven and we're forgiven daily. And in Isaiah 2, it says, God says, you know, come, let us reason together. So even though your, skins are, your sins are like scarlet, come and I will make them as white as snow. He's willing to take us as we are if we come to him. We don't need to hide from him. We don't need to deny our wrongdoing. We need to come to him, and he will offer us forgiveness when we ask for it every single time. But there is a caveat. He wants us, if we really understand what he's forgiven us for, and he continues to forgive us for daily when we do things wrong or don't do what he wants us to do, he wants us to offer that same forgiveness to others. And that is a huge struggle because it seems like it doesn't make sense. Why should somebody who's done something wrong to us be put, you know, let off the hook? Why should we forgive? 
Why should we, why should we not hold that against them anymore and let that go? So one of the first things that the Holy Spirit worked on me with um, when I was 17 is that I needed to forgive my father. So I grew up in a household where my dad was an alcoholic and uh, so that affected everything in the family. And um, one of the first things God spoke to me about was reaching out to my father. So we didn't say I love you to my father. He didn't say it to us. We would hide when he came home from work. And uh, so there I was. I knew when I became a Christian that I needed to start reading my Bible to find out what it said, what it says, and who God is, and that I would discover him through that. And that I also needed to talk to him, which is prayers, conversations with God. So I started doing both those things. And it started out that every time I would spend time alone, reading my Bible and praying, that things would begin to happen. And one of the things God said to me um, up at that same house on Walcott, one day when my dad was downstairs in the kitchen by himself, we were the only ones home, I was upstairs reading my Bible and praying, I heard that still small voice say, go down and tell your father you love him. Now I had never said that to dad, and he had never said that to me, and so I did not want to go do that. But the Holy Spirit can be quite um, a nag. <laughs> I don't mean that disrespectfully. But the pressure can be intense when he wants you to do something. You will feel a strong sense of conviction that you should do it. You may start to sweat because you don't want to do it. Um, and he'll never tell you to do anything that would be wrong. There was nothing wrong with telling my father that I loved him. It was just not something that was done in our house, not something I was eager to do. But I felt this strong compulsion that I was to be obedient. So I went down, and my dad was sitting down there, and I just said, um, Dad? He was like, what? And I said, I just want to tell you I love you. Well, I never said that to him before. His head jerked up, and he didn't know what to say, and he looked at me and said, what do you want? <laughs> and I said, nothing. I just want to tell you I love you. And he's like, okay. He couldn't say it back. And I wasn't going to tell him God had sent me. I didn't think that was going to go over too well. So I just rushed back upstairs. It's like, okay, done, done and done. Did it, Lord. A few months later, same scenario. Reading my Bible, praying, and we're, he's downstairs, we're alone in the house, and God says, go down and tell your father you love him. And I said, I already did that. And he said, do it again. And I was like, uh. So I went down, said it again. That happened over a course of months. I don't know what my father thought, but I kept popping up, you know, every couple months, just popping in and saying, I love you. And finally, one day, he mumbled back, I love you too. So I thought, oh, well, that's progress. Well, that's, that's done with that. But um, the Holy Spirit had more in mind. Of course he did. So then the next time I heard that still small voice, go down and tell your father you love him. Did that and hug him. And they're like, what? <laughs> I have to touch him now? So I am down there. He's like a little soldier sitting in a chair. And I just went down and said, Dad, I love you. And I reached over and gave him a clumsy hug. And he didn't hug back. And he didn't know what to do. And I didn't know what to do. And so I bemoosed. Um, but um, God kept upping the ante. And then over the years, um, I was able to uh, talk with my father about the Lord. He began to ask questions. And it's a whole long story about my father. And I won't go into it now because I've told some of it before. But the bottom line is, um, before my father died, he... Uh, he, we prayed together for him to receive the Lord. And so God is, is on the move. Um, but this forgiveness thing is a big deal. And so I began to learn early on with Dad that it's required that you forgive. But 
it still is a struggle. And so about a year ago, uh, some, somebody really hurt my feelings by telling me all that's wrong with my personality. So they had quite a few things to say. And uh, it was really hurtful and it really, really um, just was demoralizing. It made me just think, oh, I, am I, I must just be a terrible person. So it wasn't anything that I had done, it was just like character traits. So um, I was really angry about it and hurt by it and I knew I had to forgive them. They didn't ask for forgiveness. They didn't, never said, oh, I'm sorry I said that. Uh, somebody I saw frequently and so I couldn't really avoid them and they just wanted to pretend they had never said it. And so um, that, I just struggled with it. I struggled with it for 10 months. I kept in my mind saying, yes, Lord, okay, I'm going to forgive them. And then as soon as I'd see him, it would all come back in my mind and I'd think, you know, they don't deserve forgiveness. They didn't say they're sorry. They don't care. You know, why should I forgive them? And I could not get past it. Now, I've been a Christian for over 45 years, and this is recent, and I, I know what I'm supposed to do, but I just couldn't make it stick. I kept taking the whole resentment and bitterness back again and anger, and I couldn't let it go. And then um, one day I was at a Christian fundraiser, and this woman was um, speaking, and she was um, gave a nice little homily about the Lord and sang a lovely song. And while I was listening to the her talk and I was listening to the song, I started to praise God in my heart. And while I was praising him, all of a sudden, I heard that still small voice again. And he said, what does grace mean? Now, I got good training at those Bible studies back when I was 17. I know what grace means. The definition of grace is unmerited favor. It's that you get the blessings that you don't deserve. You get, God shows you favor, not because you've earned it, but despite the fact that you haven't earned it. It's part of his unconditional love that he offers. So he's asking me, what does grace mean? So I answered him back, unconditional, unmerited favor. And so then that voice again, have I shown you unmerited favor? Yes, Lord. Then can't you show so-and-so, he said the name, unmerited favor? And I realized, oh, yeah, I can. And I realized for the first time that it's not about the fact that she doesn't deserve it. It's not about the fact that she doesn't apologize. It's about the fact that God has shed his grace and shown me his grace. He's given me unmerited blessings and favor because I don't deserve them. I'm still receiving them. And the whole point was it didn't matter that she didn't deserve forgiveness. I was receiving forgiveness from the Lord that I didn't deserve. And he wanted me to show it to her as well. And it's one of those things where it's like the light goes on and you realize, oh, it just sank into my very bones what he was saying. And I was, for the first time, free to forgive her completely and let that go. And it was just as if it dropped away, like a ton of bricks fell off me, and I just felt lighter, and it was gone. And that was just a lesson that I need to continually learn. I'm sure I'm going to go through that again, because there's always people that, you know, you feel are hurting you or... Um, there's something you need to forgive someone for. But um, God still has to teach us these things and bring these lessons home. And then um, the next thing, too, that I just wanted to um, bring up is that um, it's about being broken. And right now, you know, my body, some of you know this, I've had a lot of health issues over the last couple of years. 
they're kind of lining up, so I have to reprioritize what issues I have to deal with first, depending on what is screaming for the most attention at the time, whether it's my eyes or my knee or my bladder or my colon or whatever. And so it's been um, a series of, um, of, as I like to refer to it, as wheels falling off the wagon. And they're kind of going at a disconcerting rate. And so you kind of, it's a kind of a bumpy ride, literally. And it's sort of like, uh-oh, what's going to fall off next? And so um, that's not a great place to be, as I know many of you know that, have been there. And it doesn't have to be physical brokenness. It can be financial brokenness. It can be spiritual brokenness. It can be relational brokenness. There's all sorts of brokenness that we have to deal with in our lives. And uh, those are very difficult times. And one of the things that uh, James says in the beginning of this chapter is that count it all joy when you, when you encounter various trials because trials are going to bring about perseverance and perseverance is going to grow your faith. So most of us don't have that first reaction of uh, when we experience suffering and trials of we're going to count it all joy. Uh, that's something you have to learn uh, about. And, but once again, God is with us in all these things. And Jesus himself was broken physically. And he did that and endured suffering for us. And so he's with us in the midst of our sufferings. He understands that. And God is with us wherever we experience those sufferings. So I'm beginning to discover the truth in that. And last August, I was in the hospital um, for five days down in Connecticut because of a big infection in my intestine and a big infection in my bladder, both at the same time. We went to an emergency room and they said, you need to go to the hospital right now. So they sent me off in an ambulance and I was there for five days. So there I am broken in a hospital out of town. And I'm thinking, whoa, where, where are you, God? What's happening here? Um, you know, why am I here? Well, I discovered that God had a plan for me there that I had no idea about, but it was really lovely. And the very first night that I was there, it's about midnight, they wanted to do an ultrasound. So they sent me off. There's one woman who's managing the ultrasound um, a lab or room, whatever it is. And she's this lovely Ukrainian woman. And we start talking and she's doing the ultrasound and checking me out and we start to talk. And it turns out her husband had suffered from the same type of infections that I was having and uh, had nearly died from it and was still recovering from it. So we started talking and then um, she just really opened up and shared all of these things. And before she wheeled me back out of the room, I said to her, you know, I don't know how you feel about God, but, but I, um, I trust in him. And I said, it would be okay if I prayed with you. And she said, oh, I love him with my whole heart. And so we held hands over the gurney and uh, we prayed together and it was, it was lovely. And later on, I went up to my room and some, a friend had sent a, a psalm, um, I think it was 87, to me. And I read it and I thought, oh, this would be perfect for Juliana, the ultrasound lady. And I thought I could reach her through the operator. So I figured that out, called the operator, asked for Juliana an ultrasound. She sent me over to Juliana. When I said, this is Susan, she said, oh, Susan. She said, I just called my son and told him that we had been praying for his father and that there are good people in the world. And he was so encouraged by that. And I said, well, I've got a psalm for you, 87, that I think you should read. And she said, I'll read that. So that was, it was, I went back to my room rejoicing that, oh, I had a, a divine appointment, as Connie Gibbons referred to in her talk last fall. A divine appointment was there. God had a plan there. And then each day for the five-day period, it was, I was in a room by myself every day. One of the 
nurses, the aides, whatever. These people started, men and women, started opening up and just sharing their problems. And they had all kinds of serious things that you would never have guessed from the outside. And so I was able to say, I, I can pray for you for that. And they were all receptive to that. And I ended up with a prayer list um, at the end of my five days there that had seven people on it. And I realized this is not an accident. God is using this time that I'm here to give encouragement to these people. And so now, you know, I'm realizing that brokenness can bring us places where we're going to be able to relate to people that we wouldn't relate to if we weren't broken in some of the same ways that they are. It opens a door. And so wherever you find yourself, you know, God is there with us. As Corey Ten Boom said, you know, who was in a concentration camp in World War II for hiding a Christian, and they were hiding Jews in their house and got caught. She said she discovered from the concentration camp that there is no pit so deep, but yet Christ is deeper still. And that is the truth. He is deep. And we cannot understand and imagine really how much he loves us and that he is there for us. And one of the things that uh, James also tells us is to ask. We don't have because we don't ask. And why is that? I don't know. Oftentimes when I am suffering from something, I will... Um, I don't, and the first thing is not necessarily that I go to Jesus with it. Sometimes I want to go talk to somebody, or I want to just stay in bed, or I want to eat something, or we find some ways to, to sort of make ourselves feel better um, that don't change anything. And sometimes, I, I hate to say it, but after 45 years, I still have to be reminded sometimes to go to Jesus first with whatever it is that we need, whatever place we're suffering, wherever we're broken, and let him bring about the solution and help us and fix us in it. And he can and he does. And so I came away from my five-day hospital stay filled with, with rejoicing. I didn't expect that at all. I had a good recovery from it, but I had no expectation that God would be there in such a powerful way. And then lastly, um, some of you know I had surgery back in January for um, a lesion in my colon, which they thought was going to be benign. But uh, I had nine inches of colon taken out in Mass General. And it came back that actually it was very early stage of cancer. So that is not what you want to hear. And I know some of you here have experienced that, either yourself or with a loved one. So when you hear that news, you're kind of like, you know, and I have a good prognosis and I don't, you know, minimize that. But it just puts you in a very vulnerable category where you are afraid. And uh, that's a scary word. And so you need the comfort of the Holy Spirit to know that that Jesus is with us, and that he has a plan for our lives. And one of the things I realized after my hospital stay last July was that, um, as, as somebody told me about a friend of theirs who had heart condition, would keep going to the hospital all the time, and when he would pack his bag for the next day at the hospital, he would say to his wife, I'm going to the, on the mission field. And I realized, yeah, <laughs> that, you know, there's only two ways to minister to people in the hospitals. Either you go in as a patient, or you go in as a medical staff member. Now, I'm not a medical staff member, so my only option is go as a patient, and am I willing to go and